Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. But they've been out fishing all night. From the time the sun went down to the time the sun came back up. I mean, there are, after all, they're all fishermen. This is kind of what they do. Their entire livelihood depends on it. The work, they're, they're what they eat the next day, they're how, everything depends on this. I will tell you that they're actually very good at their job. See, the village that they live in, these fishermen, is a fishing village. It's kind of what everybody does. It's because of the location, right? They're off the shore. And the village they live in is named after a prophet. It's named after Nahum. The city or the village is called Capernaum. However, you, you wouldn't think that these guys or this group of people were fishermen based off what they caught last night, which was nothing. Out all night. They caught nothing. It'd be a shameful lie. In fact, I know from experience just how it feels to come home empty-handed when you put your best into it, you put your hardest work into it, and you just have nothing to show for it. So when the sun came up, the fishermen decided to throw in the towel, and they pulled their boats up to the shore. And they started to clean their nets and their materials. There's always another day. Fish will bite another day. There's a science to fishing, you know. If you don't ask, or if you don't know that, then I encourage you to talk to Jim Duell. He can tell you all about the science of fishing. And so they start to clean their nets, and they start to clean their materials, and they're just going to throw in the towel for today. And then one of the fishermen just kind of happened to look over their shoulder, and they noticed right there on the shore was a teacher. And it would appear that he was in the middle of class. He had a small group right there on the shore, and they were listening attentively to what this guy had to say. But the fisherman doesn't have time for that. They need to clean their stuff and get on to the next thing. Well, then, as they're continuing to clean, they look again, and they realize, but this time, the teacher has stepped into their boat and decided to use their boat as a platform to teach class. And so, again, the fisherman said, okay, I'll just let that one slide. I'm a good Jew. I, obviously, this person is a religious leader. I'll let them have the bow while I'm finishing up. And so they're cleaning, and they're cleaning. They're getting ready. And the teacher is just teaching. And the class looks attentive and paying attention. And then when he's done teaching, when he's finished with class, this teacher just turns around and looks to the fisherman and says, No fish? No. No fish, teacher. Okay. Have you tried putting the nets over there? Uh, no disrespect, teacher. You know, we're professional fishermen. This is what we do. In fact, I've fished these seas all my life. And I'm telling you, there's no fish tonight. 
We've already been looking. But you know what? The teacher looked pretty insistent, and to humor the guy, let's throw the nets in. So the fishermen grabbed their nets and tossed them over the boat. And then the silence broke in. And then probably, if I had to guess, a little bit of doubt and disbelief starts to settle into their minds. Okay? And then all of a sudden, the boat shifts. And so they go to the edge of the boat and they look over and they look down and they see that the boat is starting to lean forward and start to sink a little bit. And they can see little tails flapping around in the water. And there were just more and more and more. And so they, they decided that they just started looking at each other, these, these fishermen. And so they, they started to pull the net in because the boat was starting to sink. It was something they have never seen before. There were so many fish. I mean, in all of our years of fit, we have never seen anything like this. And they started to bring it in because they were afraid that they were going to join the fishes if they didn't start to do something. So they started bringing the nets up. And as the, as the fish poured over into the boats, these fishermen looked back to the teacher, who doesn't seem surprised, by the way. But this time when they looked over, they saw something that they missed before. This fisherman went over to this teacher and all he said, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And when the teacher nodded, he said, yes. The fisherman did not respond with, well, we've been waiting for you. Finally, we could get these Romans behind us. And he didn't say, can you give me more fish? But instead, he just fell to his knees on the shore where the teacher was. And he said the same thing that Abraham said when he was called by God. The same thing that Job said when he was in the presence of God. And the same thing that Isaiah said when he had a vision from God. The fisherman said, go away from me. I am a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And the teacher responded, do not be afraid, Peter. Today, you catch fish. But from now on, you will catch men. Come follow me. And Peter did just that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Open your scripture. We want to look in here and we don't want to walk out confused. I don't want to walk out not understanding what it is you want us to know. What do you want us to do, Lord? Lord, I pray right now that the words I've written down, the words that come out of my mouth, only be the truth, Lord, only gospel. If I say anything that isn't, then correct me, Lord. I want to, I want to speak your truth only. Father, I pray where in my weakness and my flesh, let your strength be shown. God, I just pray that here on this day, the Sunday after Easter, that we still serve a risen Savior, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the Sunday after Easter. Yeah, one guy's excited about that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, we stood right here last week at this spot, and we proclaimed and we shouted, 
at the rooftops the phrase, He is risen! He is risen indeed. Churches across America, in fact, were filled with people shouting this phrase last week. They were on our banners. We were singing them on our trumpets. We were going crazy. In fact, we, we were just, just singing and shouting, He is risen. And some of them, maybe for the first time, have ever heard the phrase, and others have heard it their entire life. But today, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Is that we're calling today the director's cut of the signed series. We've extended it one more week because I want us to take a final look at this guy called Jesus. And we're looking now, if you're just joining us for the first time, you have no idea what we're referencing. I encourage you to go back and listen to on our podcast, to listen for all of the weeks leading up, the Signs series. We've been diving through the book of John, analyzing and looking at the miracles that are recorded and listed in that book, all the way up into the resurrection. And so today, we're going to conclude that. We're going to finally get down to some answers here. We're going to answer the question, was Jesus the Messiah? Was he, was he the guy? It was a question that the disciples had to actually ask themselves. Is this the guy? And then after the resurrection, they had to ask another question. What do we do now? What do we do now? Our whole entire ministry has been based following that guy. He's not here. What do we do now? You see, the actions of the disciples, what takes place after the resurrection, are going to set the foundation and the tone for what life looks like post-resurrection. They are setting the example. They're setting it out. No one in the history of the planet has ever not been with Jesus in this moment and the church. They are setting the, they have laid the foundation right here. And so with tensions rising in Jerusalem after Easter, after the resurrection, and there was quite a bit of tension in Jerusalem, several of the disciples, including Peter, decides to go home to Galilee. They get out of Dodge. So they travel back up north, back home. And Peter decides to rely back on something that he is very familiar with, something he's very comfortable with. He's now kind of fleeing Jerusalem, gone back home, and he naturally fit back in to the fishing crowd. And so that's what we see Peter do. Before Jesus entered his life, before he came and shook things up, fishing is the only thing Peter did. That was it. That's what he was known for. It was the, actually, it was the thing Peter was doing when he met Jesus for the first time. So it was natural for him to go back to it. I thought maybe Peter was trying to hit his retirement plan a little early. See, I remember when my grandfather retired, for, I want to say for the first six solid months, he went fishing every day. That's what he always wanted to do. He says, as soon as I retire, I'm going to go fishing. And he wasn't lying. He went fishing every day for about six months until he came home and said, all right, what else is there to do? <laughs> you see, Peter is in Galilee, 
And he tells the group, the disciples that followed him back home, that he's going to go fishing. And so they all decide to join him. That's kind of what guys do. You're going to go fishing? I'll go fishing with you. And so they all hopped in the boat and they said, let's go out. Now, when we read this story, when we actually look into the book of John, and we read this story, we can either determine that it wasn't their night, or perhaps Peter really isn't that good of a fisherman. Because here we are, Peter and the group are once again coming empty-handed after an entire night of fishing. They've been out all night with these guys. This is kind of what they do. And they're coming back empty-handed. Now, by this time, after they were done with their fishing adventure, the sun is now starting to come up. They've been out throughout the night. And when the sun was coming up, they looked over to the shore and they could see a figure standing on the shore at this time of the morning. Now, they really couldn't make out who or what it was, but they can see that it was a figure of a person. The person on the shore, who has been watching them fish now, unsuccessfully I may add, decides to yell out to the boat from the shore. Friends, did you catch any fish? And I can imagine as men would in this scenario, uh, they all kind of started laughing and responded back to the man on the shore. Uh, No, no, no fish today, no fish today. And then so the man on the shore just spoke up again. Uh, have you tried throwing your net on the right side of the boat, on this side, over here? Uh, one of these guys, huh? Okay. Everyone, everyone's a fisherman in Capernaum. So, all right, yep. Let's put it on the other side, guys. All right, so they grab their net, and they go and they throw them on the other side of the boat. Now, I imagine that there was that moment of silence looking back to the man on the shore. And then the boat moved. Whoa. And so they look over, and the net that they've just casted over to the boat is now filled with fishes. Tails are flapping everywhere. The water is bubbling. There are so many fish. The boat actually begins to start to lean. It starts to get real heavy. And so they immediately know what to do, because otherwise they're joining them. They grab the net, and they start to bring in the fish. And there are so many fish, so many fish. It was getting heavy. In fact, there were so many fish in this net that there was not enough physical space on the boat to house them. They had to keep some in the net. It was so many. And I'm going to tell you is that as soon as this happened, the moment that this net was filled with fish, they knew exactly who the man on the shore was. There was no question. This isn't Peter's first rodeo. He has experienced this exact same thing once before. And when they got there, when they start, when they, when they, they looked back, Peter could see the man on the sh- And John, as they're pulling in the, he just looks at Peter. He says, it's him. It's the Lord. And I can just see Peter looking back at the shore, almost like, almost in disbelief, perhaps. Looking back, it is him. 
And then, the, and then Peter does something interesting. It says that he grabs all of his clothes, all of his cloaks and tunics, and he puts them on. He throws everything back on and then jumps in the water. So he jumps into the water to make a mad dash all the way back to the, to the shore. This is, this is interesting. Very unlikely. Because I will know, I could tell you, that if I was jumping into the water, I'd be taking things off. I don't want things on. I want the least resistance possible when I'm in the water. So I would be taking it off to jump in. But not Peter. He puts everything on. There's a reason for this. It's because the script, the law says that anytime you're in the presence of a priest or a religious official, you must be fully clothed. And so Peter, with his full, full faith that this man is Jesus Christ, says, I'm going to dress for the occasion. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, the disciples weren't naked in the boat. They were wearing their work clothes. They would take off their tunic. They would take off their cloaks. And they would lay them down in the boat while they fished. But in this moment, Peter was displaying his faith that the man on the shore was him. And he was going to be ready to approach the king no matter what obstacles are in the way. And so the rest of the disciples in that moment couldn't row fast enough to keep up with Peter. And so they finally get to the, to the shore and they meet up with Jesus, they meet up with Peter, and they decide to have breakfast. It's morning after all, the sun's just coming up. I want to tell you this. It was an amazing sight. It was an amazing sight for the disciples that they have all right now are having breakfast with the risen Savior. He's alive. He's not dead. He's flesh. I can tell. He's eating. He's having breakfast. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And the scripture says that this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. Now, for the last nine weeks, we have been walking through the book of John. And we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. Now, John, in his book and his, in his record, only wrote down seven miracles. But if you take the other Gospels, you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you break down all of those those story, all those Gospels, we see that there are around 38 miracles recorded in the life of Jesus. Now this, of course, does not take into account the very last verse in the book of John, which reads this. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. But the question remains, was he the Messiah? Was he the one? Well, this question is very important because it was not, this, this is important, it was not uncommon during biblical times for prophets and priests to perform signs and miracles. It's not uncommon. It's not as dazzling as it would be to us. It would be a common thing among Israel. In fact, 
the ancient rabbis had a written position statement about miracles. They had an actual written statement on what miracles are and are not. They separated them into two categories, the rabbis did, when analyzing a miracle. Now, the first category were those miracles that anyone could perform if they were filled with the Spirit of God. If they were filled with the Spirit of God, they can do these miraculous things. We see this very often in the Old Testament. We see that through Moses. We see the splitting of the Red Sea. We, we see Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha, that they perform miraculous signs and miracles all the time because they themselves were filled with the Spirit of God. And God, through them, did miraculous things. But the second category was different. This category of miracles was called by the rabbis the messianic miracles. That's what they were. These were miracles only, only the Messiah would be able to perform. Just, just him. This means that you would never, throughout history, see any other prophet, any other either priest or teacher be able to perform these miracles. God wouldn't give them the ability, wouldn't give them the power to do so. These were reserved. They were on hold for only the Messiah. Only he will be able to do these. And what we see here is that according to the scripture, there were only three on reserve. Three miracles that only the Messiah could perform. And what we read, what we've been through, is that we see that Jesus performed all three. He's the only person in history that was able to perform miracles in both categories. When Jesus performed the messianic miracles, he did them a little differently than the other ones. He did, in fact, I'll show you what I mean. That these, when he performed specifically the messianic miracles, he did these in public. And Jesus then instructed whoever was healed, whoever the person was, he instructed that person to immediately go to the Sanhedrin and have their healing certified by the religious leaders. It wasn't kept secret. It wasn't something he says, listen, don't tell anyone. He always said, go and get validated. Go and be certified by the religious leaders. He did that on purpose. There was a reason behind that. See, this was a way for Jesus to basically say that he is the Messiah without saying he's the Messiah. Because only the religious priests, the only religious officials, they would know exactly that if a claim came in with that, only the Messiah can perform that. Only the Messiah can do that. And it's also important to know that there was, built into the law, built into the actual law, was a fail-safe in case there were pretend messiahs, people who claimed that they can do these things. So there was a fail-safe that was put into the law to weed out the fake messiahs. Here's what the law stated. It stated that if and when a messianic miracle takes place, that there has to be a seven-day investigation that was called by the religious leaders, and it was to validate the miracle, if it actually happened. Was it real? 
Who's the guy that did? What was the scenario? What is, what is the health case of the person who got healed? Was this pretend? Was there, there was a seven-day investigation that took place. And if it was validated, if it indeed was saying, yes, that is a messiah healing, then on the eighth day, the priest had to give four offerings, four offerings to the Lord. And after they gave their offerings, they took the person who was healed and they anointed that individual with oil. And it was the way for the, for the, for the really the law to validate that this person is healed and it was done by the Messiah. That's what the law says. These were strict instructions. This was exactly what you were supposed to do. There's only one problem. That in the 1,300 years that the law has existed, no priest has ever performed the ceremony. It's a law that has never seen the light of day. Never. There has never been a case where someone comes in and says, I've been healed by the Messiah. All right, well, let's do this and actually get through the whole process. There may have been those who claimed it, but through the investigation, we're able to find, okay, this guy's not the real deal. But they've never carried through all the way to the end of this law. Never once. That is, until Jesus. This is why, this is why we have so much storyline with the Pharisees. This is why they play a big role in the story of the Gospels. They were supposed to be validating the Messiah by following the law. But instead, they were not willing to give up their power to a person that they saw beneath them, a Nazarene carpenter. You're not it. God forgive us, your church today, when we choose power over humility. Forgive us, Lord. So what miracles were they? What miracles were only for the Messiah to perform? There's only three. It was the healing of the leper, the casting out of demons, and the healing of a man born blind. And why these three? He did a lot. He did a lot of amazing things. But why these three were set aside and reserved for the Messiah? Now, in my personal studies, let me say this. This is in my opinion. My opinion is I think because these miracles displayed the fact that the Messiah has the ultimate authority. Let me tell you what I mean. He has the authority to make what is unclean clean with the leper. He has the authority over the entire spiritual kingdoms with the casting out of demons. He has the authority over this entire fallen world by healing of birth defects. These miracles should have been validated by the Pharisees so that the entire nation of Israel would know that their Messiah is here, that their God has remembered them and has not abandoned them. But instead, when Jesus healed the leper, they opened an investigation. When he cast out the demons, they ruled that he was not the Messiah. 
And when he healed the man that was born blind, they ordered that anyone who says Jesus is the Messiah will permanently be kicked out of the synagogue. The very law that was meant to prove that he was the Messiah was the law that the Pharisees used against him. This is why Jesus said, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill it. Jesus is the law in flesh. He is the law. He's here to fulfill it. Whatever validation, whatever validation he did not get from the Pharisees was received when he went to the cross. And three days later, he broke out of the tomb and he was a risen man from the dead. Friends, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God and the Lamb. Believe in him and you too will experience the same things written in this book. He can bring healing to your body. He can bring healing to your family. He can bring healing into your brokenness. Are you struggling with doubts, with power, with unbelief? These things are not new to Jesus. They're not new. He's very familiar with those who doubt him. He knows well those who don't believe in him. And I promise you that you are not too hard for Jesus to love. If there's something on your mind today, if there's something written on your heart, today is the day. There's no waiting. Jesus came to this earth, came to this place, to this planet to save us, to save you. Yeah, we're still going to experience the fallen world. We're still going to get sick. But we're still going to do things that come with living in this world. But remember, he is the authority over all kingdoms. There is a kingdom coming next. There is more to our faith than this earth. There's more. And so I plead, in fact, your pastor is begging you, follow him. Follow him. Don't follow me. I gotta gotta catch up with him. Follow him. This stuff is serious. It's real. When I'm going through the book of John, when I was looking through the story of Jesus, there's nothing fake in there. There is a kingdom coming. And I want you to be there. I want to sit next to you. And I'm excited because I'm not going to be standing up here. I'm going to be with you. Because only Jesus is the high priest. He's it. The best I can do is just point you. That's the best I can do. And I'll do it all day. But there is a kingdom coming. Because the Messiah is returning. 
He's coming back. There's more to come. There's more to come. He's coming back. And I want you to be ready when he does. Be ready for when he comes and he calls out for his people. Those who have followed and believed in me without seeing. I want to be standing next to you. So the altars are open. You could come find Tim for the first time, or you can come and give all the things that have plagued you on this earth. And you can give it to him and just pass it over to him. But that's my prayer for you today. It's to come and see. Come and see. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.